This our song through endless ages, Jesus led us all the way. God is good all the time. Let's pray together. Father, you are good and your deeds are good. And two things we know, Lord, that you are strong and you are loving. And though weeping may endure for the night, your joy comes in the morning. So, Lord, we awaken to your love today. We recognize your grace. We give thanks for your bountiful provision for us. And we say with the song, you do all things well. Keep us in the center of your love today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I bring you greetings from your brothers and sisters in Christ in West Texas. I've been out at Paisano Baptist Encampment with a group of lovely people who love the Lord as you do and uh, found great grace in just getting to spend uh, a week with them. This was the, the last of my um, opportunities to preach out there. There's a three-year uh, commitment, and uh, they invite you some years ahead. So, uh, so my uh, uh, commitment there is complete, but I'm grateful and uh, enriched and uh, strengthened by the fellowship with those brothers and sisters in Christ. So do you like roller coasters? Sometime in my 20s or 30s, I got over my love for roller coasters. (laughs) I still follow them with some interest, though. My my sons had uh, this uh, roller coaster builder on the the computer and uh, always trying to make them taller and faster and steeper. Uh, You might be interested in the new Takabisha um, roller coaster at Fuji Q Park in Japan. They spent $37 million to create a 120-degree drop. Now think, 90 degrees is straight down. So 121 degree, it's the, it's the steepest roller coaster in the world. Pretty scary. Now I wonder, what is the worst part of a roller coaster ride for you? For me, it's the moment that you start up that hill and you hear that, that terrible clicking sound. I think my pulse starts racing. I did a little research on this this week. Studies say the fastest heart rates of roller coaster riders are on the ride up. Interestingly, it's the anticipation. We understand gravity. We go up. We're going to come down. So I thought I would just show you a little video of that Takabisha just so you could experience that. We'll just get our heart rates up a little bit today if we can. I want to show you. Now watch this, dramatic pause. Doesn't that make it worse? Enjoy. Whenever I read the story of Joseph in this novella at the end of Genesis, I think of roller coasters because his life really was 
a roller coaster. He, he rode up uh, as his father's favorite son. Then he was brought down unceremoniously by his brothers. Pride goes before a fall and he sees himself as so important and they bring him down to earth, literally down into the pit. They bring him up long enough to sell him down into Egypt, into slavery. But there he rises to the house of Potiphar, this uh, guard of Pharaoh. He becomes the highest in that household only to resist temptation and to be punished for resisting temptation because of the cry against him. And he ends up in prison. But even in prison, he rises to the top, doesn't he? And then to the top of Egypt. And it's an amazing roller coaster ride of a life. And what I'd like for us to think together about this morning is the way that his father's favoritism in some ways predisposed the sibling rivalry which led to some of the challenges that he faced in life. But even as I say that, I want us to see how God's overarching purpose for his life ultimately prevails. Let's stand together to read God's word, Genesis chapter 37. I'm going to read the first 11 verses with you, and then I'll refer to some of the other verses as we go along. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob. Joseph A young man of 17 was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he'd been born to him in his old age. And he made a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him, could not speak a kind word to him, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you indeed intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his brother as well as his, his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you have where your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Thank you. You may be seated. A survey of scripture reveals that there is no exemplary family in all of the Bible. This may come as a surprise to you, but there's no family in the Bible that you read about and say, ah, now that's the picture of what family should be. What we see about these families in the Bible is that most of them have some dysfunction or another. In fact, the scriptures in this case mirror the world around us. The challenges the people in the Bible face are not unlike the challenges that we face. What's unique, I think, about this story is that there is polygamy involved. There are four wives, four mothers of the children, and, and, and all children in the Jacob family are created equal. But Joseph is treated as though he were more equal. 
He's given blessings by his father, gifts and and opportunities that the other brothers don't get. And this creates a sense of rivalry within them and it creates challenges within the family. And I said to you last week, I think it relates to the fact that Jacob really loved Rachel more, that their marriage was in some ways a sort of apocalyptic union for him that confirmed him that in spite of all the mischief in his life, if a woman like her could love him, he must really be somebody. Now imagine, as we said last week, when she cannot have children all of these years and and she grieves over that. Meanwhile, her sister is amazingly prolific. Six sons and one daughter. Even the slave girls have children, but Rachel can't have children. And then finally, she's expecting a child and the child comes into the world. You can imagine that from the beginning, he was celebrated. He was was loved greatly. And then she names him Joseph, which really means I'd like another. (laughs) I have one son. I want one more. And so, and so they expect again. And Benjamin comes into the world, except Rachel dies in the process of childbirth. And now all the love and grief that compounds that love that he had for Rachel is poured into those two sons and especially into her eldest son, Joseph. So the father favors him. And the more he favors him, the more the brothers resent that and it creates problems and it leads to his demise. All the while, God is working in this, perhaps in spite of Jacob's favoritism. He had really two problems, Jacob, in his parenting. Maybe more, but two that we notice. One, partiality. He favors one child over the others. The second, passivity. We've already seen it in the story when, when two of the sons run amok and wipe out a whole city of people at Shechem, he sort of slaps them on the wrist and says, now you've really caused me problems, but he doesn't have the courage to stand up to them. And we see it in his relationship with Joseph as well. So what relationship does parental favoritism have on sibling rivalry? Just some observations at the beginning. First of all, we don't start sibling rivalry by favoritism. I don't want us to think that for a moment. It existed from the time of Cain and Abel. In fact, if you ask, why is there sibling rivalry? My answer is because there's more than one child in the family. All you have to do to create sibling rivalry is have more than one kid. You will have sibling rivalry. That's the way it began. It starts with Cain and Abel. It's real in this family. It's real in our families. Just to give you an example, we, um, you know, when Melanie and I had our firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, We said, this is the way a a Dwayne and Melanie child is. You know, everything he did, we, we marveled at. And like, perhaps like your first child, he was prodigious. There had never been another child like that child. And we loved him deeply and greatly. And when he was about two and a half years old, his younger brother made his entry into the world. And we made preparation for that because we didn't want there to be sibling rivalry and conflict. And so we bought a book that we were going to read to him as we introduced his little brother to him and, and explain that families have more than one child and, and that this little brother was his equal and was equally loved. And we read this beautiful story to him. He's two and a half years old. He's taking it all in. I remember him smiling. This was a beautiful moment. And reaching over and touching his brother on the arm and then looking at us and saying, when does he go to his mommy and daddy? 
Because in his mind, we were. And see, I think he told his little brother that when we weren't looking. Because Chase was a little bit older and he said, now, now Graham is your son, but whose son am I? And he would look at my parents and Melanie's parents and say, am, are they my parents? And I think Graham whispered that to him in his sleep. And he, he struggled with that. And so sibling rivalry was on. I was with Graham last week and uh, he introduced me to a new friend of his. And we were talking about our family. And she said, Graham, could you be any more different than your brother is? It's amazing how different two children from the same family can be. Not good, not bad, but just just entirely different. I imagine it's that way in your family. Now throw Casey into that mix, and it is a whole new game. I mean, it is totally different. Turns out girls really are different from boys. And so we're experiencing that in our household, and it's, it's marvelous and wonderful to experience We don't start sibling rivalry. That started at the beginning of time. Let me tell you another truth. We can't stop sibling rivalry. It's not as though you and I, by our actions, can ultimately eradicate the competition that comes. But I tell you what we can do. We can stir it up. Look, we don't create it. We can't eradicate it, but we can aggravate it. And this is what we see Jacob doing. And I want you to see some of the mistakes he makes just so that maybe we we can repent of our own mistakes. But I also want you to see that even though Jacob is not a perfect parent, God is still working. God is still working. It's Genesis 50, 20 vision when Joseph says to his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Let's take a look at this together and just think with me about this, that every child that is born into a family needs to know that she is loved. Every child that is born into a family needs to know that he is loved. And we see that in the way that Jacob relates to his children. How do we tell our kids that we love them without telling them that we love them more than the other child? Well, one thing we do for our children is we protect them. And we see that in an earlier story in chapter 35 that Jacob is so worried that his brother Esau is going to kill his kids as well as him. And so he lines them up. But I want you to notice the order in which he lines them up. He puts the servant girls up front with their four children. Then he puts Leah with her seven children. And finally, it's Rachel and Joseph. Who is closest in proximity? Who is closest in love to Jacob. It's Joseph. From the, if everybody else gets killed, it's down to me and this one boy. He loves that son. And I think even more when, when Rachel passes away, it's intensified even more. And he wants to protect him. But just think if you were the servant wives and you were those four kids, how would you feel about being up front, uh, sort of the first line of defense against the angry brother? And if you were Joseph, what would that say to you? We, we love our children by protecting them. We love them by providing for them. And so we, we give our kids food and, and clothing. But, but in this case, Jacob, who, who apparently learned when he was around the house with his mother how to sew, he makes a garment. So this, this elaborate garment, a richly ornamented robe or a, a coat of many colors, as we heard about it when we were young, uh, it, it literally means royal robe. It's as if he's saying with this eight times it's mentioned, three times it says it had long sleeves. The idea is Joseph doesn't have to work. So when his brothers are out in the field, his father can send him out to check on them. But he stays close to the house and he is close to his father's heart and his father provides for him. And what's the danger in that? Well, ultimately, it's one thing to give good gifts to our children 
But it's another thing to show favoritism in that process. I mean, here's, here's the danger. It's, it's possible, a friend of mine who helps me with these things, it's possible to overindulge our children. And here's the thing. Overindulgence in its own right is abuse because it creates pain. It creates pain for Joseph with his brothers. It ultimately creates pain for Jacob when he thinks that Joseph has died. It doesn't bring good in their lives. We were out in, in West Texas this week, as I said, and, and you know, it's interesting. Some of the guys out there ranch with airplanes. I mean, their, their places are so big that they ranch with airplanes. And when I, when I saw that, I was thinking about this story this week. I, I remember Chuck Swindoll years ago telling about a wealthy rancher who was to be interviewed by a New York journalist. And the journalist flew out there and they drove all day long and never left the ranch. And the journalist said, I am so impressed with the size of your ranch. And the rancher said, well, it's not really mine. It's my son's. Now the rancher was a young man. He said, well, how old is your son? He said, well, he's 12 years old. He said, your son is 12 years old and he owns this whole ranch. He said, yes, he earned it. He earned it for himself. He said, well, how did your 12-year-old son earn this? He said, well, he got straight A's on his last report card. So I gave him the whole thing. Well, this is Joseph. He, he sort of uh, is given everything from his father as if to say, everybody's equal, but you are more equal than the rest. And in some ways that predestined some of the pain that we see in this story. How do we love our children? We protect them. We provide for them. How do we love our children? We discipline them. So Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24 says, if you don't discipline your children, you hate them. But if you love them, you will discipline them. Here's the problem for Joseph. All of this is heady stuff for a, a 17-year-old boy. And at some level, he begins to believe his, his press clippings. At, at some level, he becomes, it's not hard for an adolescent to become narcissistic, is it? He becomes a narcissist. You know, how many narcissists does it take to change a light bulb? Just one. He holds it while the world revolves around him. This is Joseph. He believes. His father has told him, the world revolves around you. And he believes that. So he, he gives bad reports about his brothers. What's the problem with partiality? Well, here it is. Favoritism becomes a, a difficulty. And Charles Dickens says, in the child's little world, that, that little slight, that little bit of favoritism, we say it's just a very small thing. But remember, the child is small. And the child lives in a small world. And so what's small to us becomes magnified to them. It becomes larger than life. Mom or dad loves this one. I can imagine a story in which a, a family uh, is a, a part of a home building family and the older son doesn't want to build homes, but the the younger son joins his father in that work and helps his father and becomes his right-hand man and his assistant. And the father, based on that, says, you know what, since you're working so hard for me, here's how I'll reward you. I'll give you a very nice home. You earned it. You worked every hour for it. It's commensurate with the work you've done. But the older brother is left without a home. So he goes out and he conquers the world. And for the rest of his life, his measure of success is the home that he lives in. And he wants to live in the nicest home. And no home is ever nice enough. And so he, he keeps trading in homes. And he doesn't even know why he does it. But it goes back to a father sort of honoring one over the other. Say, but the, yeah, but the younger son, he worked harder, so he deserved what he got. But it makes an impression on the psyche of the eldest that he can never shake. There is a favoritism that is not a blessing 
but a curse. For Joseph, it's a curse not only of his brothers, but also of him, because his brothers have a way of getting even. When he tells tales about his uh, brothers who were acting up, then in verse 2, it says that his father gets this bad report, and then the brothers hate him for that. When they see the coat and that their father loved him more, they hate him for that. When over time he is sent out to his brothers to check on them, he's wearing the coat. How do we know he's wearing the coat? Because they take it off of him before they throw him into the pit. They want to kill him. The oldest brother Reuben says, wait, let's not, let's not kill him here. Let's not, let's not kill him. But but they throw him into the pit, and then when Reuben's not looking, Judah says, we could sell him, you know, always the entrepreneur. We can make a little bit of money on our brother. And so they, they sell him into slavery, and even there, there is some sign of hope because the Midianite traders sell him to Potiphar, a man of influence in Egypt. And the story's about to turn, but Joseph has come all the way down to the ground, and there is pain in that for him. There is pain for Jacob when he hears that his son has died. Look, our kids are different, and you have to bless them in their uniqueness. You you can't make one be something that the other one is. Each one has to be able, and we need to bless them. And I'm not sure we're ever completely equal, but at some level, we have to say to our kids, we love you the same. I love him as much as I love her. I love her as much as I love him it's important within a family system because kids are, are keeping score. They, they know, and, and it's true that sometimes you and I will identify more with one child or another because we have common interests with that one, but we must be careful of that and wary of that because it can become a slight in the mind of the other. Bob Russell, a pastor up in Kentucky, tells about his two sons. It's not unlike my memories when we used to have a pile of boys with our guys. We'd just have a wrestling match every night, and he talked about that, and then they would join hands and pray, and then he'd send them up to bed after he kissed them goodnight. And one night, the younger son, Philip, said to his mom, I don't think Dad kissed me goodnight. So mom came down, told Dad. Dad ran upstairs, had another wrestling match with his son, kissed him goodnight, and then lay there on the bed and just talked with him for about 15 minutes. Well, the next night, you can imagine what happened. Philip said, I can't remember if Dad kissed me goodnight. So dad runs upstairs again. For a period of weeks, this takes place. And every night, dad walks by the room of the older son and says, good night, son. Good night, dad. And then one night it hits him as he's walking by. Maybe, maybe he needs some attention too. So he opens the door and he says, I can't remember if I kissed you good night. Jumps on the bed, almost gets beaten up by the older son, who's very large at this point. And then he says to him, son, I want you to know that I'm proud of you and I love you. And the son says sort of anticlimactically, okay, dad. And then the next morning, the older son takes dad aside and says, can I tell you something? And he said, yeah, son, what is it? He said, thanks for stopping by my room last night. I never get too old for that. Here's what I want you to see. Joseph life, um, by no choice of his own, uh, gets overly blessed. At the same time, he makes his own decisions. He, he tells his brothers about his dreams. It's one thing for God to give you dreams. It's another thing to flaunt them in the faces of your brothers and even your parents. By the way, his mom and dad never bowed down to him. His brothers ultimately bowed down to him in Egypt, but his mom and dad never do. And you can sense that it's become too much for him. But the good news is he's not ruined because God is working. They meant it for evil. 
Maybe the father meant it for good, the brothers meant it for evil, but the good news is our God is good. He's working all things together for good, for those who love him, for those who are called according to his purpose. Is that you? Do you love him? Are you called according to his purpose? You say, Pastor, this is discouraging. I've ruined my kids. I've got to go get on the phone and talk with them. No, listen to me. You and I cannot do anything to our kids that God cannot supervene. There's nothing we can do that God cannot overcome. So if we've not been perfect parents, here's my, here's my good news for you. Jacob had a descendant, not through Joseph, but through Judah, whose name was Jesus. And for imperfect parents like us, there is also grace. Maybe we meant it for good. Maybe we meant it for evil. But God superintends it. God is working. And on the roller coaster of life, the good news is it comes around full circle It stays on the track. And the good news for us is God is the pilot. God is working. We may go up. We may go down. We may go around. But God is with us. Best of all, God is with us. Listen to what Augustine prayed. He said, oh, beauty so ancient and so new, you were always with me, but I was not always with you. God is with us, so let us be with God. As Brandon Heath sings it in a recent song, there is hope for me yet because God won't forget all the plans he's made for me. I have to wait and see. Still wondering why I'm here, still wrestling with my fear, but I'm not here for nothing. He's up to something. He's up to something good. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your powerful presence in this place. We confess, Lord, that we are insecure. When we come to the story of Jacob and Joseph, we see some of our own mistakes. God, let us see your providence. Let us see your hand moving and working for good. Father, help us to trust you with life. Help us to trust you with our children They are gifts from your hand, so we place them back in your hands. We release them to you, God. Your hands are bigger than ours. Your purposes for their lives are better than we can imagine. God, accomplish your perfect work in them, I pray, as you do in us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.